Welcome back to the swamp, my friends, and welcome if you're new. It's a new year here in the swamp, and it's time for some new and disturbing stories from the woods. Today, I'm going to be sharing a handful of creepy stories submitted by viewers of the show. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that help keep this show going on a daily basis. Now, let's kick this new year off with some disturbing and downright strange and allegedly true stories from the deep woods. This bustling holiday season, be sure to look for something nutritious and flavorful to fuel you on your jam-packed days. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service. It can help you eat well for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian-approved, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle while tackling all of your holiday to-dos. Now, I myself have been on the gym grind for quite some time and eating calories smart and making sure I get all my proteins and other macros in has been important to me. With Factor Meals, it's been much easier for me to make sure my meal prepping is off my list and not a hassle. You can treat yourself to high quality, delicious meals over the holidays. You can choose from 35 plus chef crafted meals every single week that support a healthy lifestyle and meet your meal preferences, whether it's calorie smart, vegan, veggie, protein plus, or more wholesome options. So what are you waiting for? Join me and many others in the swamp today. Head to factormeals.com swamped50 and use code swamped50 to get 50% off. Again, that's code swamped50 at factormeals.com swamped50 to get 50% off. St. Augustine is Haunted by Chance W. Around two and a half years ago, my wife and I met at church, culminating in our marriage on September 23rd, 2023. We reside in Jacksonville, Florida, and one of our frequent jaunts takes us to St. Augustine. However, a pivotal experience ties back to my teenage years in Mobile, Alabama, my hometown, where I will have to plan to return eventually. The catalyst for this tale emerged during a family visit from Mobile. Eager to explore, my mom secured St. Augustine ghost tour tickets. It was a novel experience for most of us, delving into the historical significance of the oldest city in the U.S. My dad, mom, sister, cousin, and aunt accompanied me. We opted for the 11 p.m. tour due to the delayed ticket arrangements extended past midnight. My interest in the paranormal led me to snap pictures throughout the tour. Initially, my scrutiny revealed nothing unusual, hurrying to capture more while the group forged ahead. Things took an eerie turn at the graveyard, purportedly housing Spanish and French remains from historical conflicts. Upon reviewing the photos at a later stop, there was a 1500s-era house nestled in this nice set of woods. I decided to go explore around. This is where a chilling revelation emerged. One picture exhibited three ghostly figures, a spectral man seated in a centuries-old chair, an inexplicable apparition that perplexed me momentarily. 
I almost forgot that I was in this old dilapidated house in the woods. The subsequent image depicted a creepy woman feeding a toddler-like figure, discernible by the bow in the hair. Despite the unsettling nature, it paled in comparison to what followed. As I approached the next stop in this cabin, about to step back outside into the woods, encountering a wax figure of what I can only describe as Jack Sparrow, an unsettling incident began to unfold. In a narrow hallway, I distinctly heard children's laughter, as clear as a scene from a movie. Absolutely astonished, I turned and ran back to my family, leaving that little nook of woods, convinced they had all heard it. But to my bewilderment, they claimed no knowledge of such laughter despite me not even being that terribly far. The journey back home allowed me to review the pictures more closely. One striking image depicted nine ghostly figures congregating in the graveyard. At the same time, another showcased an eerie figure resembling an undertaker, a stark, ominous presence with long hair, a dark coat, and a weathered western hat. This inexplicable experience still lingers in my memory, leaving a haunting curiosity that has left me fueled to explore more areas. The Forest Edge by Kawa Stories echo through the generations in the remote corners of northern Canada, where the vast wilderness meets the border with the United States. Tales of skimwalkers, ghostly apparitions, and cryptids linger in the air, passed down from elders to the curious youth. I've had my share of inexplicable encounters with the supernatural, which have left an indelible mark on my understanding of the world. Yet, one night in particular, a chilling evening in October of 2010, stands out among the rest. Our small Canadian community is shrouded and surrounded by woods, threaded by narrow trails navigatable only by ATVs or the adventurous souls on foot. It was a place where the veil between the seen and unseen felt thinner than anywhere else. And it was on the night that my friends, Oaks and Day, and I decided to tread the road notorious for its dark history. Snaking through the wilderness for three eerie miles, the road lacked the comfort of a single street lamp. Legends swirled around it, whisperings of hitchhiking ghosts, the haunting hoof lady, and the elusive Sasquatch. As darkness cloaked the landscape and the clock struck 8pm, we impulsively decided to traverse this haunting stretch of land. Our supplies were minimal. A solitary flashlight, coats to ward off the chilling air, and our own company, I guess. Oaks and Day were fervent in their anticipation, recounting tales of spectral encounters from their family lore. But for me, a sense of dread loomed over this escapade. Stories of disappearances and inexplicable phenomena had instilled a deep-seated fear of the unknown. As we approached the forest edge, the road lay ahead, faintly illuminated by passing vehicles. The sight provided a sliver of reassurance amidst the encroaching darkness. Day held the flashlight, 
its beam withheld for reasons unknown, while my friend's boisterous chatter sought to mask the unsettling silence. Minutes dragged like hours, each step amplifying the quiet unease that had settled within me, and about halfway along the road stood an abandoned farmstead, a decrepit relic of the past. Oaks, fueled by curiosity, proposed exploring its crumbling interiors. Instinctively, I opposed to the idea, urging a swift return home. Yet as we drew closer to the derelict farmhouse, Day's sudden gasp shattered the night's tranquility. She claimed to have seen a flickering light inside the lonely structure. Dismissing it as a prank, Oaks laughed, playfully chiding her. But a creeping sense of disquiet gripped us as we witnessed a faint glow within the supposedly deserted homestead. It's impossible, Day whispered, her voice tinged with disbelief. I too recoiled in horror, my mind racing through a spectrum of possibilities. Was it an apparition, an evil force, or something beyond comprehension? I demanded Day to illuminate the area with the flashlight, yet she hesitated. Fed up with the eerie charade, I voiced my urgency to leave. Peering toward the farmhouse, Oaks confirmed this was impossible. There was a glimmer of light. Without a second thought, I turned on my heels, marching briskly back towards home. Day and Oaks stumbled to catch up as my pace quickened. My mind raced with frantic thoughts, regretting not bringing my four-wheeler or a cell phone for emergency contact. The flickering light in the farmhouse haunted my imagination, conjuring sinister possibilities. Was it a spectral entity, an evil presence, or perhaps something more extraterrestrial? The pounding of our footsteps reverberated through the night until abruptly I realized the eerie absence of my friend's hurried steps behind me. A gnawing sense of dread compelled me to glance back. To my horror, Oaks had fallen, sprawled on the ground while Day's panicked cry pierced the night. Her terrified shriek drew me toward the farmhouse, now engulfed in an inexplicable phenomenon. A ball of fire, akin to a dancing flame, emerged within the decrepit structure seemingly pulsating with an unearthly energy. It ascended, paroded, and perched atop the farmhouse, casting an otherworldly glow upon the night. It felt sentient as if its fiery gaze fixated on our fleeing figures. Propelled by sheer terror, Oaks bolted upright and sprinted, urging us to follow suit. We plunged into the woods, the haunting light of the fiery apparition still visible. A surreal and terrifying spectacle that defied rational explanation. The relentless pursuit continued as we fled the winding trails, the luminous enigma of the fireball remaining tethered to the abandoned house. Panic-stricken and breathless, we sought refuge at Oak's grandparents' house. Desperation etched on our faces as we recounted the surreal encounter. Their elderly voices carried wisdom steeped in folklore soothing our frayed nerves with the tales of fireballs. A harbinger, a spectral messenger rather than an evil omen. Their reassurance and stories attempted to quell our fear before we departed for our respective homes. The lingering enigma of the fiery apparition still haunting our thoughts. Days passed, but the memory of the unearthly spectacle lingered. The cryptic words of Oak's grandparents reverberated resonating with an inexplicable profundity. It wasn't until the untimely passing of an elder in our community 
just three days after our chilling encounter that the pieces began to fall into place. The farmhouse, long abandoned by its owners, had once been the home of a grandfather who had departed from this realm. The fiery apparition we had encountered bore a message, a warning veiled in the dance of flames, an otherworldly communication preceding the Elder's passing. Though inexplicable and haunting, the spectral encounter left me pondering the mysteries of our world, reminding me that beyond the veil of the known lies a realm of enigmas, where the supernatural and the ordinary intersect in inexplicable ways. An Encounter with Eyes by Brian G. Living on our 17-acre property in the Pacific Northwest, my wife and I resided in a camping trailer about 100 yards away from the main house owned by my mother-in-law. The land, once a site for logging a century ago, hides numerous untold stories and mysteries of generations past. One such story I've uncovered involves the early inhabitants, Mr. John Graham Sr. and Mrs. Mona Smith. Their son John Graham Jr., an architect, left his mark on Seattle, designing iconic structures like the Space Needle. The lake nearby was named Lake Moneysmith in honor of John Sr.'s wife. In this wooded haven, home to our ducks, chickens, sheep, and goats, the wilderness teems with life. Bald eagles soar, black bears roam, deer and their young find refuge, while possums, raccoons, and bobcats call this place home there was even a sighting of a cougar about five miles away. But one night, an encounter shook me to my core. It was a moonless night, and I found myself outside the trailer wearing a headlamp, tending to the mundane task of emptying the back water tank. The beam of my headlamp barely penetrated the surrounding darkness, illuminating only what was directly in front of me. Standing there, waiting for the tank to empty, I saw two reflective orbs staring back at me, from the impenetrable void of the woods. On this land I've encountered and startled bears, been surprised by them, named the deer, been dive-bombed by bats, and even sprinted after a bobcat eyeing our ducks. But these eyes, they were different. Tall enough to be a bear, yet not spaced apart like a deer's. My attempts to scare it off with shouts, mock charges, and furious yells proved to be futile. It stood unwavering, unblinking, motionless. The unnerving silence hung heavy as those eyes pierced through the darkness, fixated on me. For an eternity, I waged a one-sided battle against this unseen entity, its unwavering gaze chilling me to the bone. I mustered all my courage, bellowing and stamping my feet, but those eyes, unmoving, remained fixated on me. A sense of foreboding crept in. I realized this wasn't like anything I had encountered before. The eyes, glowing and intense, never wavered. They were there, stubborn and unyielding, until suddenly they turned away. They vanished into the darkness without a sound, rustle, or twig break, leaving me with a chilling void of confusion. It's been a decade since that haunting encounter, and still the mystery lingers. Despite the passing years, the night's events remain etched vividly in my memory. I've often contemplated the inexplicable nature of that presence, 
the enigmatic pair of eyes that seemed to defy the natural world, leaving me an eerie sense of wonder and curiosity that endures to this day. And yet every time I venture out to tend to the back water tank, a lingering thought nags at me. What else might be lurking in those silent woods? Hey Swamp, my friends call me Ray, but I'm changing the names of everyone else involved. We lived in Texas until last year when we moved to Alaska. There isn't much I can say about my job without giving away the company, but my time is spent outdoors. Two years ago, my wife, Haley, was involved in an accident and we fell on some hard times. We also have two kids, so it seemed like we were being offered an opportunity to get back on track. I could hardly say no. While we didn't expect to love it out here, we thought it would be bearable long enough to pay off some debt, but no research could have prepared us for this place. It took over a year for my wife to physically recover from the car crash. She still has PTSD, working from home and not traveling on interstates fit into our new lifestyle nicely. Though there are plenty of downsides, the fact that an ocean now separates us from the rest of our family bothers me the most. The kids didn't want to leave their friends, but luckily they haven't hit their teen years yet, or the resistance would have been much worse. Jason is only 10 and Jenny is 7. Surprisingly, they've adjusted better than we could have ever dreamed. The strange day and night cycles aren't split into six month cycles as we had always heard. There are a couple of occasions where it's one or the other, but it's mostly just long summer days and winter nights. The kids were happy to discover what a novelty it all was to everyone back home. During the first two weeks they practically lived on FaceTime. It made us feel like everything would be okay, which was a big deal considering how poorly Haley and I were coping. The overall stress was unbelievable. Moving to a new city is a significant undertaking, but this was a different league entirely. We failed to appreciate that Alaska is very cold. Obviously, we knew it was something to prepare for in terms of buying the necessary supplies, but those who have never experienced a proper winter can't grasp how drastically it changes your daily life. We couldn't afford four entirely new wardrobes on top of new tires and the countless other items we didn't consider. Thankfully, our families were able to help. I don't know what we would have done without them, to be honest. Our house is far more excellent than we had in Texas, which was another plus for the kids, if not slightly ironic. Usually it's more expensive to live in the city than in the country, but that's not true here. Thanks to my company, we got a great deal on our house, but everything else is nearly double the price. We came very close to selling our cars, rather than have to pay for them to be brought over, but thank goodness we didn't. Had we understood my drastically higher salary was to cover basic living expenses, I'm not sure we would have moved. And our only neighbor, Odette, lives across the road. She and her husband bought their home over 40 years ago, but sadly he passed away last spring. She doesn't get out often, but she's very kind. The day we moved in, she came over with a delicious casserole. There's nothing like a free meal after a long, hard day. Especially that day involved your first glimpse at the grocery store's outrageous pricing. Odette accepted our invitation to stay for dinner. She may be in her late 60s, but she can keep up with the best of us. She has a thousand stories. The kids would have listened all night if we let them. 
Once they were finally in bed, the rest of us had our coffee in the den. That's when Odette's story started to get... a little weird. The light-hearted tone in her voice suddenly turned very grave, and her gaze dropped to the floor. When you bought this house, did Alan tell you about any of the local legends we have around here? Her words ran together as she blurted them out. Um, nope, none that I can remember. I was confident because there had been almost no contact with the actual owner. I looked to Haley for confirmation, and she was also shaking her head. The drastic change in our neighbor's demeanor made us feel like she was about to deliver some terrible news, like something along the lines of the previous owner slaughtered his whole family or was some sort of serial killer or something like that, something dangerous. I had a feeling. She sipped her coffee and took a deep breath before continuing. Did you know Alaska has its very own Bermuda Triangle? We had certainly not heard about this, but she told us all about it. Something like five out of every thousand people go missing around here, and most happen in the area we are in. I was surprised, but not necessarily frightened. Many states are uninhabited. It wasn't a stretch to assume people might go out, lose their way, and succumb to the wildlife, or the elements. It was like Odette could hear the thought forming. That's when she explained the Kustaka legends. Kustaka are ottermen. I remember hearing a few Bigfoot stories in the past, but nothing we dreamed that could be real. Even as we listened to her describe the eight-foot-tall shape-shifting creature, I couldn't create a severe mental image of a giant, man-like otter walking around on two legs, at least not maliciously. Our neighbor described how they would sometimes take the appearance of a loved one to lure their victims into the woods. There's no shortage of people willing to give first-hand accounts of their own experiences, though witness testimony doesn't mean much to me personally. It seemed like the Kustaka were Alaska's version of cow tipping. Just because something is impossible doesn't stop everyone and their brother from saying it happened. Even though these creatures usually lure victims to their doom, Odette claimed they sometimes appear in human form to approach those who are lost or injured. They pretend to offer the victim aid, but they intend to lead them deeper into the forest, where they will turn the human into one of their own. I'm still unclear about what the process entails but I didn't try to learn. Even now, it's difficult for me to wrap my head around this. When I asked Odette why she was telling us these things, she said it was because of her son Cam, who hired a Kentucky boy to work on his crew several years ago. They warned Kyle of the various dangers from day one, but he thought they were hazing the newbie. When his aggravation began affecting his job, performance, Odette invited the whole crew to a barbecue in hopes that the boy would take her words more seriously. Unfortunately, he chose not to attend. Then, at roughly 3pm the following Tuesday, Kyle signaled a bathroom break to his supervisor and stepped away. He was never seen again. No one expected him to vanish in the middle of a shift, but concerns proliferated when 20 minutes passed without his return. Initially, they hoped he was only trying to scare them for revenge. Cam and three others searched for him while the rest continued working. Formal searches were conducted over the following weeks, but there was no trace. There's nothing Odette could have done, but she feels deep remorse for his loss. Our hearts ached for the poor woman. Haley and I found ourselves believing in the Kustaka to ease her mind, but we began discussing it after she left. As someone who wasn't raised with Otterman lore, it was tough to take seriously. So what did we do? We turned to YouTube and discovered Alaska is known for many creepy cryptids, and Kustaka stories are among them. 
The History Channel has a great show called Missing in Alaska, and episode 10 has what we were looking for. It told of a writer who came down to research the legend for a book, but he vanished too. That's insane. I won't go through the whole video. But while it was enjoyable, it didn't convince us otter men existed. We believed that the locals truly believed in them, which was good enough. We decided to humor the legend as a show of respect. Honestly, it encouraged safer practices in the wilderness, which can only be a good thing. Overall, our strategy worked well. Though I was admittedly nervous starting the new job when I learned some of our work would take us through the triangle. My co-workers' stories didn't help either, but things got more accessible after the first month passed without incident. The days began to bleed together as life moved on in a beautifully mundane blur. And eventually, I forgot about the legends completely, until late February. The job should have been simple. Find the spot on the land, dig, and get home before something gets frostbite. It was the same routine like any other day except for Jason's birthday. He was disappointed I had to work and didn't want to open his presents without me. We FaceTimed long enough for him to rip open some paper, but the signal dropped. Luckily, Haley had the foresight to give him the iPad first, and I felt less guilty about his decision to wait for the rest. I worked like a machine. I didn't even stop for lunch. My mind was focused on getting the job done and making it home. That evening, in the gray light of dusk, we packed up and made the short hike back to our trucks. It had been a long day, and no one lingered around to chat, and I didn't blame them. I was five to ten minutes down the road when I realized my phone was still at the site. When talking to Jason, I had propped it up on a tree and forgot to grab it when my hands were free again. If it had been anything else, I would have left it for the next day, but not my phone. No thoughts of danger entered my mind, but why would it? I was returning to a place I knew well, and it would only take a moment to walk in, get my phone, and get back on the road. I drove as close to the site as safely as possible and found myself running the rest of the way. I still don't understand why I felt so rushed. There was no doubt Jason had been thoroughly engrossed in his new tablet all day. His other presents weren't going anywhere. Yet I was running through the wilderness like a fool. It was almost completely dark when I reached for my phone. I hadn't thought to grab a light, so I'm not sure what I would have done if it had gotten dark first. As I stood trying to turn on the phone's flashlight, I heard what sounded like a fox crying out. A friend had recently found one trapped in an old hunter's snare, and I wouldn't say that I liked the thought of leaving it if the same thing happened again. I rushed off with my light pointed at the ground ahead. I was nervous about leaving the trail, but the cry sounded very close. I continued straight for a few yards, maybe 20 or so, without seeing any sign of the fox. No matter how far I walked, it seemed like it would be past the next shrub. I must have walked 50 to 60 yards when the noise was immediately cut off, like someone pressed stop on a tape recorder, and it suddenly began to snow heavily. The weather here is unpredictable, but that instance was strange, even by Alaskan standards. The howling wind was the only sound in the forest, and I had to move quickly. It doesn't take long for flurries to become full-on snowstorms here, and I didn't want to think about what would happen. As the snowfall increased, I turned back the way I came and the light began reflecting into my eyes. The temperature dropped rapidly, and my truck was the only shelter for miles. I opened the phone's compass to ensure I maintained a straight line, but no matter which direction I pointed, it wouldn't spin. Hoping to use the GPS, I hunched down against a tree and turned off the light while trying to open Google Maps, but there was no signal. 
not even to send a text. To make matters even worse, I only had 48% battery remaining, and solid, white snow walls were now surrounding me. It's a miracle I didn't lay down to die on that spot. If I weren't a father, things would have gone differently. I don't know. Forcing myself to leave the tree's illusion of safety was extremely difficult. I was practically crawling when I continued from my desperate search for the path. The wind tore into me from the right. My beanie doubled as my face mask, and thankfully, I developed a habit of putting my gloves in a coat pocket, or they'd be in the truck with my boots and earmuffs. The body loses the most heat through its ears and feet. The added layer of my coat's thick hood helped protect my head, but I feared the worst for my numb toes. No expense is spared regarding the boots we wear out here. They are knee-high, insulated, and clunky. Perfect for the job, but awful for the roads. Like most of the guys, I changed into something lighter at the end of the day, and that's why I was wearing a pair of regular Red Wings. Even though my feet were too cold to feel, I knew each step forward was filling my boots with more snow as their rims dipped beneath the surface. If nothing else, the sheer weight increase was enough to be sure. My mind was overrun with daydreams of life on disability after losing my feet. I would become an alcoholic, Haley would leave me, the kids would hate me, and I would move in with my parents. It was as clear as the air was white as I realized my hands were also going numb from clawing myself forward against the worst gusts of wind. I would have cried, but I'm sure my tear ducts were frozen shut. My snowballs were lodged somewhere between my lungs, but I'm trying to keep this PG, if you will. I was on the verge of digging a hole behind the next tree I stumbled into when I froze in place at the sound of a familiar voice calling my name. It was faint over the storm. I thought I imagined it at first, but then I heard it again, slightly louder. It, it was my boss, Brian. I screamed so loud that my raw throat felt like it was cracking open, but I wasn't going to waste my chance at survival. My heart swelled with overwhelming relief when he answered my cries and I pulled myself upright while impatiently waiting for rescue. The wind calmed slightly, allowing for me to hear his footsteps. The sound was beautiful and terrifying. He was approaching from my left, meaning I had to be going the wrong way. My sense of relief was tainted with horror as my brain entered several what-ifs in the next short seconds it took for Brian to come into view. A fierce gust of wind stopped him roughly 30 feet away and he shouted, Follow me! before turning to lead us back. The thought of reaching my truck, mostly the heater, pushed me away from the flood of worst-case scenarios. There would be plenty of nightmares and therapy bills for those later. Staying low... I hurried forward to close the gap between myself and Brian, but he was also picking up speed. That was fine with me, the faster we got out, the better, but I was so focused on trying to catch up that I failed to notice we still hadn't reached the path. Even worse, I was moving at a dangerous speed with only a dim light pointed ahead of my feet. Any misstep could have easily twisted or broken my ankle. Eventually, common sense took over. My mindless panic. Brian, wait! I shouted as loudly as my raw throat would allow, but he didn't seem to hear me. I tried again and again as we continued to speed through denser foliage. My feet were getting tangled in vines, thorny branches were tearing my coat, and I knew something was wrong. I should have known much sooner. Finally, I stopped dead in my tracks, turned around and resumed moving as fast as I dared, fully aware I would not survive a fall. My encounter with 
The figure, I called Brian, played through my mind in a split-screen fashion alongside Odette's warnings of Kustaka, taking on the appearance of friends to lure victims more plunging into the forest. The only thing capable of pulling me from those thoughts was the horrifying sound of Brian's voice calling out, What are you doing? That's the wrong way. I know it's always a mistake to look back, but that's precisely what I did. At first glance, I saw an enormous black shape dart past a tree and vanish from sight. My heart skipped at least three beats before I could force myself to move again. The shape I saw was a minimum of eight feet high, and there was a dark undertone in the voice that yelled, Come back! We're trying to help you! It sounded so close when it spoke that I stumbled and couldn't help casting a glance to my right. I didn't think it was possible to feel even more frightened than I was, but the image of a giant, hairy, disfigured face seared into my mind as I struggled to regain footing. It was poking its enormous head from behind a tree. I could still see it now, clear as day, burned into my mind, and there is little hope to ever forget that thing in the future. I'm not sure how long I ran, but it felt like an eternity. All I can say for sure is that I kept putting one foot in front of the other and eventually I had several voices calling my name from multiple directions in the distance. To say I was skeptical would be a vast understatement, but I didn't know what to do. Every move felt fatal. What if they are Akustaka, or one of the several other cryptids I've heard about? What if they're real people, but I ran away? What if the first monster catches up while I'm standing here? Hoping it was a reasonable thing to assume monsters wouldn't have flashlights, I decided to shout a tentative cry for help and run towards the first light I saw. Unfortunately, that cry turned into the high-pitched squeal of a teenage girl when a branch snapped directly behind me. In complete darkness, I surged forward, unsure if the snag at the bottom of my coat was real or imagined, and a dozen shots rang out in reply. In seconds, spotlights were pointed in my direction and the sound of weapons being prepared to fire was sweet music to my ears. I screamed, It's behind me! several times before collapsing, but I didn't need to say more. Everyone understood my meaning perfectly. I was later told that Kustaka probably left when it heard all the other people. As I thought, Haley called Brian when I didn't come home, and he took care of the rest. They all raced back to search for me. Apparently there's no point in wasting time with police in those weather conditions, and I'm grateful they didn't. There's no doubt I was close to the end. After I collapsed, they zipped me into a sleeping bag Tommy had the foresight to bring from his truck and carried me out of there like in a body bag. I wasn't too far off in the direction I was traveling, but I wouldn't have found the trail. Even without the possible Kustaka encounter or psychotic break, whichever you believe, there's no doubt that I would have died out there if they hadn't found me. I had to spend a little time in the hospital because of the frostbite. It's a complicated healing process, but miraculously, I've gotten to keep all of my fingers and toes. I'm primarily okay now, but my sense of touch isn't quite what it used to be in the worst places. No circumstance will ever get me to step foot into the wilderness alone again. In our original budget, we planned to live here for four to five years, which increased with the unexpected living cost. I'm not so sure if I can last that long, though. Haley and I have decided to call our families tomorrow to discuss possible options. If we could find jobs beforehand and arrange a place to stay while we look for a new house, it may be possible to leave sooner. We don't plan to tell them about the triangle. They would be deeply concerned for our mental health. We're heartbroken, and I regularly work near dangerous wildlife. Those are facts. I'm sure there are more, but those are enough. 
I'm ashamed of how stupid it was to put myself in that situation, which must have been evident to the others. I can guarantee every person in our tiny town heard what happened that day, but no one has questioned me about it. I don't think I could say all of this if they did, not face to face, and I'm sure they know that too, but writing it out like this, I don't know, I do feel a little better. Well, that's all I have to say besides thanks for doing what you do. Even if you don't use this for your channel, I appreciate that you took the time to read it. If I weren't trying to move away from this frozen wasteland, I would be supporting you with more than likes and shares. Keep up the great work, and best wishes to you and your family, Swamp Dweller. Stalked in an Ohio State Park by Queasy Comfort I work as a childcare professional, and one of the kids recently got into hiking, so I took him to an excellent Salt Fork State Park trail that I like. We were all set to hike to Hosack's Cave after parking near the trailhead's beginning. The entire course is about a half mile long, so I chose this trail for our daily hike. I also decided this trail because any time I had been on it before, it was hectic and full of people and a trendy spot which made me feel a bit more secure. However, this past summer we had a cluster of severe summer storms that caused massive damage to the trail, so to my surprise it was much more complex and empty. However, I wasn't bothered by the open path because a small construction crew was working on a bridge that was just barely visible from the trailhead. He was still up for the hike, despite the entire width of the trail being washed out until it was no more than a foot wide with a 6 foot to 12 foot drop into a creek bed with a solid rock and several trees that had fallen down. He is very athletic and I was confident in his abilities if he was. Confident that he could do so, I thought that he could. And he seemed to be very excited to tackle our adventure, so who was I to say no? We made it to a platform that allows you to see the entire cave. There were many downed trees surrounding the platform and it was closed at this point, but we had made it this far so we decided to maneuver around the venue and proceeded the few hundred feet into the cave. We spent most of the time in this area due to the difficulty it was to get there, so I know exactly what it looked like. There were tree roots directly under the platform, and you could climb down either side. It is also worth noting that Hosack's cave is much more like a cliff with an overhanging rock formation and a trickle of a waterfall directly in the middle. It's not a creepy closed up cave. It's very open and beautiful. We got to the cave and I noticed a candle that was not burning recently but had been sitting on a large rock with a heart carved into it. I chalked it up to someone having a date and disregarded it. He wanted to climb to the top where I noticed two more candles and three stacks of small rocks that somebody had stacked up. I felt weird at this point, but it was about this time that he found a small puddle full of baby salamanders and wanted to catch them. This was the happiest I had seen the kid in a long time, and I didn't have the heart to tell him it was time to go. We spent about an hour catching baby salamanders, and I watched him have the time of his life. We finally decided to leave, and when we got to the platform, dead center in the middle of the tree roots was a wet washcloth hanging that was not there before. He noticed it as well, but did not pick up on the severity of the situation that we were apparently in. At that moment, I factually knew two things. One, someone was watching us, and we did not see them. And two, they were now potentially hiding in the woods and made it a point not to be seen, but leave an object to be noticed. 
There was no running back with the narrow trail, and I was not about to tell him that we were in potential danger. I told him to go in front of me, and I kept encouraging him that he was doing great over and over, which seemed to speed him up naturally. I never saw anyone while we were on the trail, but I had the most intense feeling of being watched the entire hike back. We got to the car, and I locked the doors immediately. On our way out of the park, a filthy man, probably in his 30s, came out of the woods and made a point to stare at me with the blankest expression I had ever seen on a human being. The man followed me with his eyes and head as I drove by him and continued to stare at him until I couldn't see him anymore. At that point, I knew the third fact. He made it a point to make himself appear to me, and facts one and two were confirmed. That stare stuck with me for days and I considered counseling after this as it bothered me for several weeks causing me severe anxiety. I tried to tell myself that maybe we just interrupted his bath time and he was camping and didn't want to startle us. After all, the crazy looking man had ample time to do anything he wanted while we were catching salamanders. I cannot rationalize why he stared into my eyes the way he did. If he wanted to be unnoticed, why would he have made himself so, uh, obvious? Deep down, I know it was much likelier that this was a deliberate action intended to scare me. He never had any idea how panicked I was, and to this day, it is the most fun I had ever seen that kid have. He brings it up regularly, and it's a positive experience for him. But on the other hand, it was one of my worst experiences and made me feel sick and disturbed. Thanks for listening to these creepy and downright strange and disturbing stories from the woods. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to punch that like button in the face as it helps me out a ton. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it to fresh new eyes. Let's see if we can't break 1,000 likes on this episode. It'd be greatly appreciated. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us? Be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications to never miss a new episode as I upload multiple videos a week and all things natural and supernatural. If you have a story that you'd like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit yours at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that help keep this show going on a daily basis. If you made it all the way to the end, definitely let me know what story was your favorite tonight. It helps me curate better stories in the future, and I just love to see what stories you like the most. If you made it to the end, today's code word is leaping watch. Yes, that is like a jumping watch. The funniest comment will be pinned to the top. It's always cool to confuse everybody who doesn't make it to the end, and it's nice to see the interaction. 